Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Choose Inclusion. I'm here with my wonderful co-hosts, as usual, Yubi and Mike. How are you guys doing? Pretty good. Hi, Mike. Hello, hello, guys. It's uh, it's fairly chilly here in the Denver metro area, but uh, I'm thinking we're going to warm up with our amazing guest today. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. We have today we have Z Clark joining us. Uh, Z is um, a future author. Um, she just got an agent, which is amazing. Um, she's also the founder of Reclaiming Flow, a mindfulness and breathwork teacher and a tech executive, having done a lot of work in uh, Silicon Valley in the tech space for quite some time. So we're super excited to have you here. We're gonna be talking about a lot of a lot of different things around, um, I don't know, there's just a lot of things we're gonna talk about today. So Z, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here with you today. And Z, that's your superhero name, right? Z is my superhero name. That is very true. <laughs> The first question we always ask our guests because, uh, you know, it's really important for everyone to just kind of be honest with where they're at. And it's always good for our listeners to kind of hear where our guests are at is, how are you? How are you doing? You know, I am doing really, really well today. I am also a little bit chilly because I have tropical blood. But, um, you know, I'm doing really well because of my mindfulness practice, because I woke up this morning and I meditated and I wrote my morning pages. So I'm feeling great. Awesome. That's, that's great to hear. So let's just go ahead and dive right in. Like, can you tell us a little bit about your background and kind of where you came from and how that led to the work that you're doing today? Definitely. So um, I grew up in Washington, D.C. I am the child of immigrants. My mother is from the Philippines and my father is from Panama. Um, however, I am, well, Blasian, Afro-Latina. I'm a whole lot of different uh, cultures. My father's family is actually Jamaican and Jamaicans moved to Panama to build the Panama Canal. So I grew up in D.C. Um, in the 90s, which is the period where D.C. was known as the murder capital of America, where crack was everywhere. We re-elected uh, Mayor Marion Barry after he was caught smoking crack on camera. So, I mean, my, I remember my first drive-by shooting. I was seven years old. And my last drive-by shooting, I was 17. That was the year that I left Washington, D.C., and while I lived in a pretty rough neighborhood, um, I was very fortunate enough to get scholarships to go to private schools. So I remember being eight years old on the first day of school and looking back now I can say, oh, that was imposter syndrome. But really I just looked around and was the only black person, the only poor person. And I was like, what am I doing here? Do I belong here? <laughs> so um, yeah, so that was that was DC going, you know, living in a black neighborhood, going to a predominantly white school, and having very early memories of racism. Like when I was in high school, I remember being with a couple black classmates in our green plaid uniforms, uh, having lunch at a mall, and uh, getting kicked out by uh, the security guards because they made up a rule that said that uh, minors weren't allowed to be in the mall without adult supervision. Right? Right? And then our parents were like, that's racism. And I was like, that was racism. So 
So yeah, that, that was my, my growing up period. I, um, I went to Harvard for undergrad. Um, I'm a violinist. And so that decision was big because I got into Juilliard and I was debating whether I wanted to be a musician or whether I wanted to do something else. Um, and having grown up poor, I made the very practical, responsible decision. Um, so, so I went to Harvard undergrad, studied economics, um, I went back to Harvard for business school. Um, and then after that, I spent a decade in Silicon Valley uh, working in the tech industry, often being the only Black person, sometimes the only woman because tech is very male dominated and almost always the only Black woman in the room. Lots of microaggressions at work. Uh, and just lots of challenges being black. You don't get promoted as quickly as others. You watch these young tech bros just rise up the ranks super quickly. Um, and, uh, and eventually I just had enough. So I went to India. I did my black girl version of eat, pray, love. I meditated. I learned breath work. I got my yoga, yoga teacher certification. Um, and, and then when I came back to the States, I realized that I could use all of these techniques I learned to help me deal with the challenges of being black in the workplace. So dealing with microaggressions, take translating all of those ancient teachings into some of the challenges that I was facing at work. And that's kind of why I founded Reclaiming Flow, which is mindfulness training, particularly focused on the challenges that black women, black people, people of color face in the workplace. See, I was wondering if you could tell us, I mean, there's so, there's so much to unpack in all of this, and I'm sure Mike and Yubi are going to have their own set of questions, but I'll just go ahead and jump in with mine. Um, can you tell us about your experiences working in Silicon Valley in the tech space? Yeah, I mean, it is, uh, it is a very challenging environment. It's very fast paced. People are moving at the speed of lightning. It's like growth, 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 growth. Um, and it's really hard to be a black person in that world. I remember, you know, the first day of a job, a boss came to me and said, hey, I just want you to know I didn't hire you because you're black. I was like, um, I went to Harvard twice. I never thought that you hired me because I was black. Look at my resume. And uh, on a last day of a job, I had um, the CMO of a company say to me, how does it feel to know that the only thing people are talking about is that a black woman just quit? And I'm like, how about the millions of dollars that I brought this company? How about that? Um, so, you know, very challenging, even just getting a promotion. I had to fight for that. I remember a situation where I was um, running sales and, uh, and I went to my CEO and I was like, look, I'm not getting meetings with these C-level executives because my title is too junior. They're like, let me talk to your boss. And I was like, do you want to take these meetings? I know that you don't have time. So either promote me or lose business because of, you know, this glass ceiling, basically. And then, you know what he told me? He said, you're right. You deserve a promotion. You're doing a great job. And I want these meetings and I don't have time to do them. So why don't you change your title on LinkedIn and reprint business cards? But I'm really sorry. I can't change your title in the HR system because we're doing an assessment of levels. And so for like a year, I had a, I was living a lie. I had a fake title. Um, I wasn't getting paid what I deserve to be paid. And, and yet I see my white colleagues get promoted uh, so quickly, especially the young tech pros. That's what it was like. I mean, isn't that just 
And we've heard this so many times and, and it's, it's really hilarious to me because, you know, one thing you said was that you brought them millions of dollars and we've heard that countless times about literally the millions upon millions of dollars that are lost because, and yet money drives most people, right? Like at the end of the day, it comes down to power and money. And so it's so hilarious that they can't see past their own privilege, racism, supremacy, whatever you want to call it. At the, but it, but it, it's like not even the money can break them out of that, that, that mindset. And it's insane to me. Cause that's exactly right at the, like, if you, if you strip it all away, it, they're losing millions of dollars just because of their behavior. It's crazy to me. Yep. It's, it's so true that the biases are so strong, you know, um, and there've been a lot of studies um, that show that, you know, like for example, 69% of black women professionals felt that they had to work harder to progress compared to 16% of white women, right? We constantly have to prove ourselves, you know, um, a study by uh, Lean In and McKinsey showed that 40% of black women need to provide more evidence of their competence compared to 14% of white men, right? And there's so, so few of us in leadership positions. It's like the structure is set up that even though we add so much financial value to your point, uh, this is generations and generations of bias. Z, I, um, <laughs> I'm kind of speechless because of... Uh, the experiences, I, I still get floored, even with all of our guests kind of sharing, um, you know, their, their history, like I still get kind of floored with it. Uh, and I know I'm white, but I'm also blind. So I, sometimes I just don't, I don't see, I don't see it. I, I physically don't see it. Right. So it, it still baffles me, but I love, I love kind of, again, the, you know, call it lemons and the lemonade, but I, it's more than that. Like it's your, it's your attitude of like, you're a change agent. I think you were raised as a change agent based on our, our pre-call stuff. Like you just, you know, this is kind of part of your nature. And so you took, you know, all of this history and you, you created some amazing training. Um, and I'd love to talk a little bit about that. Yeah. So I, uh, I teach mindfulness training, particularly to black people and people of color uh, in the workplace. And, and it actually started. So, you know, I went to India, I studied all of these tools and techniques, right? I'm even a Reiki practitioner. I'm a sound healer with Tibetan singing bowls. I'm a Reiki practitioner. I teach meditation. I teach breath work. Um, and so I started teaching these classes to the broader community um, and realized that the only people coming to my classes were wealthy white women. And I love all people. And I believe that everyone needs to be healed. But what I really realized is that black people and people of color need it most. And particularly with my experiences in the workplace, I realized that there weren't resources for people like me. As I looked at the diversity, equity, and inclusion initiatives, um, both at the companies I've worked at and where all of my friends work, I really felt that they were for white people. Everybody's focused on implicit bias, 
which is great. And I am all for that, except that we as black people cannot wait for our white colleagues to be less racist, right? Like otherwise it actually has a negative impact on our health. You know, black people have higher rates of high blood pressure and recent studies show that discrimination actually causes this high blood pressure. So, right, we, it is, it is very challenging for us. And then there are these talent acquisition uh, programs and initiatives, right, which is also awesome. I am all for that as well. But what about the black people and people of color that are at these companies today? What are these DEI initiatives doing for them? And that is where my training comes in. So I teach a class called Mindfulness to Heal from Microaggressions at Work. When somebody calls you the wrong name, they call you the name of the other black person, or when someone says, wow, you're really articulate. You're not like the others. Or if somebody says, are you sure your work is right? And then they're looking for some other white person's validation of the work that you did. And when we experience these microaggressions in the workplace, it causes just constant level of stress. Like we're constantly on guard. And so I teach tools and techniques, especially breathing techniques that are really, really helpful for us when we deal with these things so that we don't uh, lose our sanity. Like I'll give you an example the belly breath, okay? This is the simplest breathing technique possible, which is you literally just, as you inhale, you feel your belly expand like a balloon to its full capacity, which, you know, as women, we're like always trying to look skinny. It's not about that because that actually, this breathing technique actually stimulates the parasympathetic nervous system. So if the sympathetic nervous system is that fight or flight, this is the opposite. This is of rest and restoration. And if you do just a simple belly breath, when someone says something to you that triggers you in the moment, it can have huge impacts on your health, on your psyche. And then you're not reacting from a place of like anger. Like I can't tell you how many times I really physically wanted to do stuff to people after they said something and I needed to calm myself in the moment. So I teach a class on microaggressions. I teach a class on countering imposter syndrome with courage. Um, I teach a class on bringing my whole self to work but for black people and for people of color, because these, I've had so many authentic leadership classes taught by white people and they're like, be your full self. And I'm like, okay, except I had to straighten my hair because I was told that if I didn't, I wasn't professional. I have to change the way I speak. And also I have to hide that I grew up really poor because I'm just trying to fit in here. And for me, code switching is essential for my survival. Can you tell me about that white person teaching me about authentic leadership? And so I bring a lens of what it's like as a black person and a person of color at work. And I combine those challenges with some of these techniques, breathing, meditation, affirmations, things that have been done for thousands of years. And I link those two together. That's amazing. And like, I think we'll, we'll do like uh, the, at the end of the podcast, where can all these companies find you so they can hire you and bring you in? <laughs> because clearly all these companies need, need the work that you're doing. Um, but I think one of the things you, you kind of mentioned in our pre-call was around um, the fact that what Black people experience outside of work has a direct impact on, on you know, how they're able to show up to work. And uh, obviously the work you're doing is meant to address that, but you know, can you explain the problem statement around that and, and why it's important we need to be addressing that? Yeah, definitely. So, 
you know, we don't go to work in a vacuum, right? Like we have lives outside of work and experiences that we have outside of work can impact how we show up at work. And so let me give you an example. Last summer, I play violin, as I might've mentioned. And last summer I went to a violin vigil in Aurora, Colorado. So the violin vigil was for a man named Elijah McLean. He was a 23 year old black man and violinist who used to play violin for the kittens at the rescue. Okay, just like the sweetest person. And, as usual, there are videos, live footage now, thank God for technology in that regard, um, that show him getting murdered unarmed by the police. They choked him to death. They shot him with ketamine. And so to honor this beautiful man's life, a bunch of violinists and stringed instruments um, played in a park in Aurora. And you know what happened on that Saturday is the police came with their riot gear. And you know, how threatening am I with the violin? And yet I am sprinting away from the police as they're shooting rubber bullets, as they have tear gas and it's just complete chaos. And so, you know, I was kind of shaken as you might imagine, because I didn't go to any of the protests. I had experienced tear gas from police already. And so I was trying to avoid that. But when people were like, you need the violin, it's violin vigil, it's not gonna be dangerous. So. Totally shaken up by that. That's on a Saturday. Monday morning, 8 a.m., I have a work meeting with a white colleague, and I noticed myself snap at him. Like, I'm usually a pretty patient person, but I just snapped at this man, and I, and I caught myself in the moment. This is part of the mindfulness practice of just being aware. And, and I said, oh, I'm really sorry, um, but I, uh, I just have to tell you that this happened to me on Saturday and I'm just not doing that well. So I'm not mad at you. I'm just a little shaken up. And, and so, you know, it's hard to talk about these things. It's, you know, I think now I'm much more open to just being vulnerable, but historically I would have to hide all these things and just sweep it under the rug and pretend it didn't exist. But as you might imagine, one doesn't even realize how you're treating people and how you're acting because you're just on defense, you're reactive and you're suffering from things that happened outside of work. And I think employers really need to understand that black people, their lives outside of the workplace and inside of the workplace, because a lot of these things happen at work as well, can be really challenging. And that's why mental health is so important. I used to think that therapy was for white people, for rich white people, okay? And it wasn't until many of my friends died and then the stress at work got too much that I just was like, wait, I think that I need to go to therapy. It was like, it was like mercy time out. I, I need to go to therapy. And then also mindfulness helped me out so much. And you know, my companies, all the companies that I've worked for, they owe me thousands of dollars for my therapy bills because a lot of it, a lot of the therapy uh, sessions that I had were about things that happened at work. Z, I, again, I, I just, we're going on a marathon uh, kind of uh uh, podcast today because you just you have you have way too much information that is is relevant uh, and I, I I don't want to go from like one story to the next but you you also shared pre-call about this you know this camping trip again let's talk about like the therapy um, 
I can you do you mind sharing with our our audience members like this this you know camping trip gone gone awry? Yeah, absolutely. So I was on a road trip driving from San Francisco to Colorado, and I was moving. And also, I made it a national parks kind of vacation, right? Camping road trip uh, with a friend of mine. And we got as far as Sacramento. So that's an hour and a half outside of San Francisco. And we went to a grocery store. Um, anybody from California might be familiar. It's called Rayleigh's. And it is a uh, regional chain. And, and so I spent $220 at this grocery store because I'm camping, right? I was going to be off the grid. Um, no stores need supplies. I even bought a cooler there. And so I'm in the parking lot trying to play Tetris with my trunk and pack up all the things that my stuff from moving plus all the camping gear. Um, when I hear sirens and a, a police SUV pulls up like skirt and with their sirens and they said, ma'am, ma'am, did you purchase those groceries? And I was like, yes. Hey, hey, Grace, can you, um, can you get the, uh, the receipt. And then, so I showed the receipt, showed the groceries, and then he goes to every single piece of, of gross, all the groceries in my bag. And I'm like, what's this? I was like, that's an English cucumber. It's right here on the receipt. What's this? That's a portobello mushroom. I'm like, do, is this, is this a vegetable education exercise? So as you might imagine, $220 of groceries, it was like a long time of this harassment. Then they went back inside. They said a cashier had called the police and said that I shoplifted. So as we're going through it and they're searching all of the bags in my car, my sleeping bags on the ground, like all the camping gear, the tents, my clothes are searching desperately. And I found out what they were looking for. They were looking for deli meat, deli meat. Okay, I'm a vegan. I am a vegan. And so there was no deli meat to be found. There was one, my friend bought some soprasata sausage and that was on the receipt. So there was one piece of deli meat, but there was no other deli meat because as I mentioned to them, I was a vegan. Yet still they harassed me for hours and hours and hours insisting that there was meat somewhere in my car, even though I had a receipt. And so after this incident, I wrote an open letter to the CEO um, asking, you know, do, do you have policies against racial profiling? Um, and I asked them, you know, what sort of training do they have for their employees? And then after this incident, you know, the ACLU um, joined me in helping to negotiate. And I found out from a black employee that worked there that there was a bet in the office that, that they were all laughing about it, about what I was going to demand. Okay. This was a joke to them. Meanwhile, I'm like in tears, just a complete mess. Um, and what I really wanted was required implicit bias training for all employees. And let me tell you, these negotiations, it was like, well, yes, we will train our executive team. And I'm like, do you know how far away? your executive team are from the people that called the police on me. And so anyway, just a lot of like struggle. Um, and, and this incident, you know, the, the one thing that's crazy to me, I remember I had a boyfriend once, a white man, who said to me, oh no, this police brutality thing, like police harassment, that doesn't happen to black people like you. And I think he was talking about, you know, black people that have gone to Harvard and people that are of certain education level. And, you know, I don't have Harvard written on my forehead. When I'm on the grocery store, nobody knows that I'm just a black person. And so, yeah, the struggle is real.
I mean, it is, <laughs> I, uh, I just, I don't, I don't know what to say sometimes, like, because I mean, there's just countless stories and the behaviors, but at the end of the day, like, I think ultimately the, the, the power I feel from you and, and what our audience can take away from this conversation is, is that the, the, to your point that the, the black team members in our organizations are there's so much more going on and if we don't if we don't create programs to support mental health offer mental health programs that you know that aren't you know glossed over in white um, and things like that like it, it, there's there has to be a a better way to support our black colleagues because of everything that's going on in their lives that white people just have no clue, have no clue. And it, it's, it, it, that, that, that to me is, is, I mean, thankfully we're having more and more of these discussions and thankfully a lot of leaders are starting to realize this, um, but we can't stop having these discussions. And, and you're right, you know, that, thank goodness for cell phone videos, right? Because otherwise, you know, people would just, the, the white people in this country would continue to, you know, bury their heads in the sand and ignore ignore it because it doesn't affect them. Well, and and also, so like the the, 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 the uh, violin vigil, uh, the camping trip, like we're, we're, we're not talking this was 20 years ago, right, Z? Nope. The, the violin vigil, that was uh, last summer. So that was 2020, the year of so many um, crazy things. And the grocery store, that was in 2018. And I just, and it, that's, that's what just still continues to, um, like for me, I, like I know, like I, and I, and I, I, I admittedly, like I, I try to stay away from, you know, mainstream media just because again, it's all the negative stuff. And I don't do it because I'm trying to bury my head in the sand. Like I, it, it, uh, like the, the news really affects me viscerally, but again, as a blind person, like I, I don't know, I don't know like the pound of pain from being black. I don't. Um, but I felt the sting of discrimination, um, real life discrimination. So I, um, you know, so again, kind like not even similar shoes, but I, I, I do that, but I, I, it, I'll never have a bigoted cop put the, put, put their knee on my neck. Like well, ever. I mean, honestly, like this wasn't covered by mainstream news. So even if you were listening to mainstream news, you never would have heard this stuff. You have oh, to my. and actively wow. find all of this stuff on your own by engaging. Like I only hear about these types of things because I happen to be on Twitter and following the, the, the people who talk about this. If so the I violent vigil, you know, and it, most people are not going to ever hear these stories. That wasn't covered. So the violent vigil wasn't even covered on the news. So the violin vigil, I mean, I think it might have been covered on like local news. What ended up happening actually is because of the violin vigil in Colorado, then there started to be violin vigils across the nation. And when it got to New York, then I think there was a New York Times article. <laughs> but, wow. but the police brutality on the violin vigil not sure that was covered you know what I mean like I think I think generally the news was like look violinists and it was very um it was beautiful and the music really was beautiful and actually what did end up happening is we ran away we found a spot nearby and then we started playing again to the backdrop of the sounds of police violence 
it was like, it was just, I, I cannot explain um, the duality there. Yeah. Oh like, my God. That would be reported, Mike, even if you like saw, if, if there was a Denver Post article is not the story you just heard. It would have been a very good story. Just, it's, it's giving me goosebumps. The, I, I still appreciate your really, I mean, talking about being vulnerable to share these and you're doing it. And, and I understand because <clears throat> the, you intentionally sought out after, you know, mental health um, techniques for yourself. And I, and you even shared, like you started your morning off with this. And so I know <clears throat> this isn't just a, just, it, it's not just a, a business for you. This is, this is something for you to embrace because of your, you know, what you've lived. And I just, I so appreciate you sharing, um, you know, these real life recent events and yet, you know, the power, uh, the commitment that you have uh, for your own mental well-being and the mental well-being of so many others. So I, I, I just can't thank you enough for everything that you've shared with, with, with me today personally. And yeah. see, where can folks find you? Because obviously, you know, companies need to be hiring you. Without a doubt, yes. they need to be hiring you and bringing you in and, and doing this great work that you're doing. How can they find you? Yeah. So my company is called Reclaiming Flow. So just www.reclaimingflow.com. Um, I'm also on LinkedIn. So Reclaiming Flow. Um, and, you know, I wanted to just share one last point because, um, you know, my company and, and what I offer has been a little bit controversial, um, depending on the uh, maturity level of where companies are on their journey, because my classes are for black people or for people of color. And let me tell you that for me, it has been so healing to do these practices around people that look like me. And so some companies, if they are earlier on their journey, will say, well, having a class just for black people or just for people of color, that is racist because it's racist against the white people. So those are the folks that are earlier on their journey. And I just wanna share that it's so critical for our healing to have safe spaces. And so what Reclaiming Flow offers is training specifically for marginalized communities so that they can heal. So, so Z, I, uh, again, I, admittedly I'm Caucasian, um, but I have a team full of um, blind and visually impaired people. And <clears throat> I, I, I want to, I want to, I want to buy your services. Just uh, again, I, I I love what you're doing, and uh, hopefully this doesn't sound patronizing or anything. I just I I I'm, I'm just touched with what you're doing. I'm like I um, love what you're doing. I I can relate in a in a again a, a, a totally different universe, and I just I love what you're doing. Yeah, Z, thank you so much for today. It's. Um, it's again, the, the, these are the conversations that, that need to be heard and to continue on over and over and over and over again, right? Until, until it, the change, we actually start to see change and see people's behaviors change. Um, so thank you again for trusting us with your voice. Um, thank you audience for continuing to come back and check us out. As always, you can go to chooseinclusion.com to uh, listen there or, or get access to a bunch of different streaming sites that we're on. So thank you again, Z. Thank you, Nina. Thank you, Mike. Really, really appreciate it. Until next time. Thanks, everybody. Thank you.